Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. I'm Paul Reismandel. I'm one of your hosts and producers. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein, other host and producer of Radio Survivor, a show where we talk about community media. Community media. I think community media is the overarching term. <laughs> I put a question mark on it because even the words community media are not don't throw a big enough tent around the stuff that I'm interested in talking about. Uh, last week on the show, we talked with Anita Bouchard Serra, who was a photo documentarian who traveled around Argentina and. There in Argentina, in the Spanish language, they, uh, according to Anita, have uh, three adjectives to describe the media. Radios alternativas y populares. Yeah, community, alternative, and popular. Yes, yeah. And so. I, I, I appreciate that because it seems, it seems a little more uh, comprehensive. Indeed, yes. And she, of course, you know helped to build these stations. She wasn't just merely following along and taking pictures. So she was taking pictures, you know, in the process. And and Yeah, we're still basking in the glow of last week's episode. It was a wonderful thing to learn about. And it's so nice because there's it has reflections of what goes on here in the US, but also what is going on around the world in the UK and India, um, you know, in Brazil. And uh, it's making these connections and realizing how vital community-based communication is. And, and, I, and I agree with you because I think, I mean, when we talk about community media, we often only think about the electronic media, you know, in, in that way. Or we only think about radio, television, and we're trying to encompass, you know, public access television. We're trying to encompass things like YouTube and podcasting. But it could be print. Yeah. And it can be it can be the way that communities come together over something in common, and it radiates. You know, we 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 did an episode celebrating small podcasts, right? Podcasts that aren't necessarily big, topping the charts, and and the folks who you you brought in yeah, to talk with five hundred listeners or so, yeah. Who they do a show about tabletop gaming, right? Which is in and of itself kind of a medium, right? And it connects people, and and so the the show is about this thing, but it's this love, this common. And, and, and enterprise, right? And, and gaming is active and, ga- and and tabletop gaming is in person. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not mediated through the internet or through radio waves, you know, and yet I think in a way it is a medium. Well, it certainly is published, right? The, there mm-hmm. are writers and designers who create something that then has to go to a publisher to get uh, mass right. produced or, or, or small publish, small batch produced. Or, you know, it's, so it's not unlike a book, yeah. Or a magazine or a zine, and in then that people way. play it together in a room that's usually also a game store, which is not unlike a bookstore. Yeah, exactly right. So I do think that there's all these these parallels, and we're trying to kind of you know grow and tie it all together. So even though radio is explicitly in our name, and and that is sort of uh, a lot of the founding around radio survivors around the actual medium of radio, I think we're mm-hmm. we are growing and expanding it as as that the world is of us uh, in this moment we become less and less monomedia or monomedium. Yeah. I think, I think we stick with radio. We don't just jettison radio because I, I think I really appreciate um, the legacy of talk and what talk is for. And while talk can take place on television, it, uh, it happens uh, more rarely for reasons. The, the sound bites get shorter. The talk gets less in depth. Um, I was listening to my new favorite uh, mainstream podcast, uh, The Daily, uh, that's put out by the New York Times, and they mentioned uh, that politicians at the moment 
are more comfortable accepting podcast interviews because they know that they're not going to be sliced and diced and that they're uh, – half a sentence is going to be taken out of context and turned against them later, that they'll be given the opportunity to explain themselves in paragraphs. Yeah. And that, and that the podcast that the New York Times has is able to offer access to, say, centrist Republicans, where even those Republicans would be uncomfortable giving an interview to the New York Times in print because they know that, that what's going to end up coming out of their mouths by uh, – uh, can be recontextualized in ways. So anyway. Just and I to, think that even extends to, to what happens on public radio, even on broadcast, even though the interviews might be shorter. Yeah. But then you have longer form interviews like like Terry Gross does on Fresh Air or I any number of, of other Air shows. First, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned how it doesn't tend to happen on television. And I think, you know, I can point out a few cases in which it does, but it's because it's sort of the exception that proves the rule. They look like radio shows. Right. It's like, like, it's like they set up cameras to have a radio show. Like Charlie Rose. On Charlie, yeah. Yeah, Charlie Rose, I think. You know, if, you may have seen him. He, he's, of well, course, he's now works, he works at CBS as well. He does 60 Minutes. But he's got, you know, the, the black curtain set, just two microphones and a table, and he, and he does a half-hour interview. And you very rarely, like, see Charlie Rose interviews turned into – into sort of viral news because of the fact that people have an opportunity to really talk. Or I think about the Travis Smiley show is a similar sort of format uh, where he talks to one or two people for essentially the duration of a full show. Yeah, sure. Travis Smiley. uh, Both of them, of course, are public television shows. Um, But here's, I want to tie this back though. I've been watching one of the digital TV channels over the air channels uh, called decades. Mm -hmm. It's ostensibly Owned at people who are older than I. When you say digital over-the-air television, you mean that you get it with an antenna. With an antenna, that's <laughs> what I mean. And you and, and in some cable systems, you may also get it. And it's you know usually it'll be like a channel like six point two or six point three, right? It's a sub-channel of your main sort of local network affiliate. You know, MeTV is an example of these. And there's one called Decades, which is again, it looks like it's aimed at people who are probably uh, baby boomer generation mm-hmm. and older. But they run the Dick Cavett show in the afternoons. Oh, and, and so Dick Cavett, Cavett you know, was a comedy writer who then had his own talk show in, in the 70s, I think, principally. And the funny thing about watching it is that how often he has this panel of people he talks to who are not there necessarily promoting anything and who may have things in common. And they just talk and their long-form conversations – that often go way off the rails. So I'm yeah. watching yesterday. I'd love to watch this. That's and he had on Truman Capote and Groucho Marx and a third person I couldn't identify because I tuned in midway and they didn't reintroduce him and he barely spoke. And the funny thing about this conversation, and they're ostensibly talking about writing, right? Because wow. Groucho Marx is a comedy writer or, or a film writer. Yeah, Truman Capote and, and Truman is Capote, a playwright. A playwright, and a, novelist. a novelist, right? A journalist of sorts. Uh, and Almost – Legitimately, an out gay uh, celebrity in the in, in the, a, ti- in a in time where 60s. that was not uh, yeah, exactly. commonplace. And the funny thing, one is that Groucho Marx's hearing wasn't good, so much of the time he's not catching things it's right. Older Groucho Marx, and there's yeah. a whole is like 1971 ish, probably. Yeah. So he's probably in his late 70s at that point. Uh, you know, but he was he he maintained a public profile long after the Marx Brothers stopped being sure. kind of he a was, going concern. He was the host of that game show, uh, what's my line? Was that correct? And he also would do movies still. He, you know, often as a cameo. And it was sort of funny, but then they would get into conversation. 
they would needle each other, Truman and Groucho, yeah. right? And 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 you could see that there seemed to be a lingering discomfort on Groucho's side oh. because of how Faye yeah. kind of uh, Truman is. At the same time, he has to live with it. I love it. Clearly, he'd read Truman. Uh-huh. Clearly, he was familiar with Truman Capote's work, and there was respect and reverence for that work. And and you just have Dick Cavett playing ringleader, mm-hmm. not trying to push the conversation in any particular way, but trying to also sort of police the margins, if you will, <laughs> and trying to keep it going. And it's fascinating because I've been wa- I've watched a bunch of these episodes. Um, where I saw one with uh, Peter Bogdanovich and another director of a previous generation. Mm. Uh, you know, so Peter Bogdanovich at this point is maybe 30 years old. And I forget who, I, uh, honestly, I forget who the other director was sure. talking about filmmaking. So you're talking about TV, unlike um, television yeah, allowing, in the 21st allowing century. Allowing for that half hour to just sort of go off in a lot of different directions, yeah. sort of casually, very podcast-like. Yeah, like a conversation that's allowed to, to wander so that more unvarnished, mm-hmm. uh, un, uh, unmarketed truth can slip through. And, and where they aren't kind of, and where the, the celebrities, such as they are, are seem to be a little less worried about yeah. being anyone playing gotcha with them sure so i would say now that to take it back to what community media is for or popular media or alternative media is the same sorts of conversations with people who don't uh who don't have the benefit of of book deal celebrity right not all the time yeah that you yeah you could get you could get a book deal uh lefty celebrity alongside of a of a person who's uh rarely given access to the airwaves and they can have a similar uh rambling and unvarnished conversation that can lead to all sorts of places. Um, Our conversation with Anita Bouchard Sarah was also very exciting because yes, we, we, we took this moment to learn about uh, a nation that we, we have very uh, low amounts of information in In the United States. Yeah. In particular, we don't learn a lot about South America. And I'm saying specifically, Paul Reese Mandel and Eric Klein (laughs) don't know much about community media or the media landscape in general in Argentina. And Anita Pouchard Serra, who had uh, had the opportunity to meet um, some uh, media activists who were working to build community radio stations, was able to share with us a lot of information to sort of catch us up on where they were. And, and put it in perspective, in a political perspective, because yeah. these stations were being built outside the bounds of the law, but in the spirit of a law that had been passed that said there would be community space for community right. radio. It was passed. It was signed into law by the previous president, Kirchner. But the powers that be and the government never started licensing the stations. Yeah. And people said, well, we still need community radio, so we're going to build them anyway. What I the way I described it yesterday to some friends of mine was that the law that was passed in Argentina under the previous president who was uh, considered more of a left part of this left wave that took place in the like, 2008 era yeah, of yeah. Uh, uh in the South America, um they 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 cracked open the door of media, which had been entirely mainstream, corporate controlled, and, and in some ways more consolidated and more aligned with political power yeah. than at least previously has been in the United so, States. So this media law cracks open the door to allow for more voices on the media, and then, uh, 
and then the activist jammed, barged in and wedged it open and would not let it close again, despite the fact that officially from government you know, sanctioned and, and licensing yeah. the new the new president view, Macri, who they would is like much to more close a, the door again. Yeah, he's much more of a corporatist, and there seems you know quite unwilling yeah. to to follow through on so, his previous. Anita law. Pouchard Sarah told us about the, the photographs that she took of these uh, unlicensed stations, which should have been licensed under the law being built. And we got a wonderful email from a friend of the show, Alvaro Burns, who is a community radio uh, contributor in Brazil and a fan of the podcast. And uh, I just want to read a little bit of the email he sent to us. Uh, it was great talk with Anita. I really liked that she talked about the media law, the Ley de Medios, because that idea was something we here in community media movements in Brazil take as a good thing. So the idea of Argentina opening the door to community media was was looked upon uh, fondly in Brazil there. Uh, Alvaro continues in this email to us, a community radio here in Brazil has been fighting for a law like the Argentinian media law for quite some time. And, uh, and he says to, uh, in the email, remember when I said, when Lula was president, we believed that the media would change here. Most of South American countries made that move. And, uh, but Lula never did. Now in Argentina, Macri is trying to come back to the days when they didn't have that law, but it's harder for him because people now understand why community media needs to exist. And so, Slowly but surely, piece by piece, interview by interview, we're sort of understanding here on Radio Survivor more of um, that the world is in a moment. I think Matthew Lassar of of Radio Survivor would agree that there's a community media push everywhere. And uh, it's it's really, I think it's useful, we think it's useful for Americans to know that this is a worldwide Yes. Uh, push. You know, two episodes ago, uh, we had Sally Kane, who is the CEO of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters here in the United States. She was on the show talking about their recent conference and giving us some perspective on why community radio is necessary. And I threw her a question, right? I said, well, in particular, about for young people, yeah. you know, people who are so-called uh, digital natives, raised with the internet, millennials and younger, whom Sally said... It, is, is a constituency, is an age group that community radio really should be courting, should really be getting involved. And I said, well, but Sally, you know, why Why should someone who is a digital native, who has YouTube, who if can they, get yeah, they thousands can of followers Periscope on, anything they want, whenever Twitter, they want, Facebook to whoever Live, they want, et cetera, yeah. why should they do it? And she, I mean, she had a ready answer, which was, it is different when you do this within a community, when you do this with other people, when you do this as a collective endeavor, when you do it together, when you do it with these roots, it is different than the individualistic sort of approach of I just YouTube from my from my, you know, living room, my bedroom, or wherever. And and it's not to invalidate those expressions, but to say how um, somehow it gets more powerful when we're when we're able to do these things together within a community where that community is defined geographically or defined virtually but there is still something there in the geographic communities yeah. you know uh th- th- that I think we should not overlook especially in this moment of reurbanization when people seem to be looking for that in their physical environs looking for walkable communities looking for places where there are cafes and local businesses and, and they feel like there's that there i think that community media 
Radio follows sure. in, in that path. Well, it's, it's fun that we're a podcast and trying to be an international podcast, but I do want to uh, push, make a make a pitch for local radio and local community media. I remember it must have been about 10 years ago I was talking sort of about the tectonic shifts that are taking place, mostly in the newspaper industry, but clearly it's of a piece. You know, newspapers, radios, television stations are all in markets that are integrated and ownership is blended and and what happens to a newspaper affects the radio in a given town. Um, And I asked these experts, I think it might have been Jay Rosen and Mark Potts. I'm just going to pull that out of my head. What good is radio in this day and age? And they very clearly were like, oh, the local, the fact that you can open the phones and the people in that same city are hearing you and you're talking to them, that that localism and live Mm -hmm. broadcast are really superpowers that even the internet can't supplant. Yeah, I think you should really be proud of what you have there at a radio station. As you put it. I think you put it very well, Eric. The legacy of talk. I've written that down, <laughs> and I, I don't because we. I don't want to lose it. I think that's a wonderful idea. Mm-hmm. And you are listening to Radio Survivor. I am Paul Reeswindell, and with me is Eric Klein, and we are the Sound of Strong Communities. We focus on community media of all sorts, and uh, I've got some news here uh, to update. You know that ha- that relates to podcasting, but as it is. Because podcasting is of itself not an island. I think it also affects a lot of audio media here. And some folks uh, who uh, you know pay attention to tech news or maybe podcasting news, music news, may have heard that the platform known as SoundCloud... Oh, talking about SoundCloud now. ...is having financial troubles and has been sort of teetering on the brink of going away. Which... Um a lot of people would might assume that SoundCloud is uh, is one thing, and it's fun to define what it is for us. Um, for us, it's I mean, for us here at Radio Survivor, it's our go to audio hosting. It's website. where we we host our podcast. When you download yeah. Radio Survivor, or uh, it's a good chance if you're listening to it online, so, it's coming from SoundCloud. So it's a very useful place for people to pay a little bit of money and have reliable audio hosting. It's also, I think, well-known as a platform for popular music to be spread. Um, I think about SoundCloud about maybe it was like 10 years ago or so as the first useful place where bits of sound could be hosted. Yeah, There was was nowhere else on the internet where it was happening at all. It's sort of, you know, oversimplification is it's sort of like the YouTube of audio. Yeah. And... What's interesting useful, there? A very useful platform. Yeah, is that a lot of sort of subgenres of hip hop and electronic music have basically been created and grown up on SoundCloud. Yeah, celebrities, and music celebrities, I think, have succeeded, uh, and you know, because it was a place found you could their host, audience, and again, it had community functions, so you could, you know, share somebody else's work, you could comment on it, so it, it allowed communities to erupt. I also remember, these, uh, not to derail you from the news of the day, but I remember uh, being in a group thread about four years ago in a, a podcast community that I was a part of here where uh, someone was linking to an article uh, touting the imminent collapse of SoundCloud and how we should probably host somewhere mm-hmm. else. And that uh, that news came and went. But here we are, and there's bigger Well, they've, news. they've been teetering on the brink. Yeah. So... Uh, 
recently they laid off 40% of their staff, 173 yeah, employees. It's that's a, not just a rumor. It's a Europe-based company. Um, and just on the 11th of August, uh, another set of investors came in and invested $169.5 million into the company. Okay. They can so keep going on that They're going to keep going on it. You know, it's a company that is basically running on venture capital. Yeah, as uh, they all must. You know, well, not even Uber is making a profit, right? Well, but we talked with Mixcloud, which hosts shows on the air, right? And it is making money, and it's not all Mixcloud started small and grew slowly, slowly, and yeah. right, and 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 you know, kind different of model, different yeah. model, and and so it it is not. I don't think we can say that all internet no, sort of media but concerns. I, have I love to throwing be that around funded. when someone yeah. mentioned yesterday on on Facebook that Twitter is not profitable. I'm like, most of these companies are. Well, yeah. yeah. When was the Amazon was unprofitable for ninety percent of its? Yeah, apparently SoundCloud life. does bring in about a hundred million dollars a year, but is running through it more quickly than that. Right, and. You know, so what's happening now is that the founding CEO is out. His name is Alex Lung, and okay. recently there was an article really disassembling what's wrong with SoundCloud. And basically, there's two problems. One problem is that they spent a lot of money trying to get deals with major labels. Artists, yeah, they well, tried to not be really Spotify. the artists with the major labels, okay. with the labels, because that's where you got to work. And to basically, right, to create kind of a Spotify-like... Or I guess what YouTube achieved. Yeah, exactly. Like all of a sudden, all that pirated music became licensed music almost overnight. Exactly. But only, unfortunately, without the Google capital, yeah. right? Without that ability to do what Google they sh- does. They shot the moon, it sounds like. They shot the moon, and, and it was very difficult. Well, and they managed to do it, but at a considerable cost. Mm-hmm. And one would argue that that took their eye off the ball, which was the most rich community was independent artists. Community media, streaming. (laughs) Or artists who might have a major label contract, but working outside that contract, doing, releasing other music. Right. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like DVD. There's an artist that I, that I really enjoy and they, yeah, they released this uh, half hour long thing that they clearly just did on over a weekend on their laptop. And it really felt like a DVD extra. Right. Like it wasn't, it wasn't for... It wasn't – there's nothing that they planned to ever sell, but it was something fun that they shared, and that seemed perfect to me. And that was very – you know, and that's a very successful part of it. And also the CEO criticized for kind of living a lavish ah. wannabe rock star lifestyle. Yeah, like you do. Spending a lot of time in Ibiza, going and doing guest DJ sets uh, and things like this, and not paying so much attention to what's going on at home in the offices. Living the startup dream of 2011 yeah. or whatever so, that was. So, and so, uh, so to that extent, the problem being that there was a lot of disorganization on top of trying to do these really expensive things. So he's out, he stays on in the board of directors. But uh, the new CEO is Kerry Trainer, who uh, was at Vimeo. And I don't know if you may have heard of Vimeo. Vimeo is a video hosting service. It's kind of the number two behind YouTube. Yeah. At one point, they were the uh, their their brand was that at least you could have HD. Right before YouTube got to HD well, technology, uh, Vimeo was there first. Under Trainer's tutelage, Vimeo did very well. Had he left, but uh, has done very well because they focused on independent filmmakers. Yeah, and people making art. 
and then they set up a VOD service. It's like grown-up YouTube. Exactly. It's like you can depend on them to be serious. Instead of looking at trying to get all the numbers or get viral sensations, yeah. it's the place where you host. If you, have a, if you have an independent film, you host it there, and you can also have it be there on video on demand. There's so if no, you want someone to pay $4 to see yeah. your two-hour independent film, you can do that. My favorite thing about the Vimeo brand is there's just no shame in having dozens of clicks on your Vimeo video where the same thing on YouTube right. would look would look pathetic. Right. And Puny. and I think I think Vimeo also therefore uh, allows you to host more a challenging mature content. Sure. Yeah, good point. You know, and things like that. Uh but it's successful and that seems more like what SoundCloud could be good at. Well, in a, from a personal point of view, I am sure glad that SoundCloud is has has a new life. Because SoundCloud ended up also courted podcasters a few years ago. Okay. Right? And that's why we host there. But many, many, many podcasters host on SoundCloud. I host a dozen podcasts on SoundCloud. Right. Because <laughs> All on one account. They started to offer very robust hosting with good metrics, good yeah. numbers. And and what I like about it is I think the player is just simple. It works. It's easy to drop in. In the browser. Into the browser and its own community. Again, we're not sponsored by SoundCloud at the moment. Well, no. And, and, <laughs> but, it's, but it's problematic, right? For us, yeah. because we've been in this watching it going, because there was some extent, there were some folks wondering if this decision on the 11th of August for the board directors to accept accept this funding, but also what these funders wanted them to do, didn't go through, there might have been imminent collapse. It certainly got a huge amount of attention in my non-radio, non-podcaster yeah. Facebook community. Because it could, it could have meant an imminent disappearance of millions of tracks of audio. Yeah, a platform that is popular. thousands upon thousands of podcast episodes. And why I want to talk about this a little bit, <laughs> it's right, a, it's in addition the to the lesson. news part, yeah. is that right now people have asked me multiple times, so Radio Survivor is hosted on SoundCloud, are you guys leaving? And the answer is, yes, we are, but not tomorrow. In part because one of the nice things about SoundCloud is that they have this uh, their pro deal where you pay one fee f- for unlimited amount of audio hosting for a yeah. year. And so that allows us to not worry about managing how many hours we have up there. Yeah, we nor have our nor whole do we need to be overly concerned if one episode all of a sudden gets 50,000 right. views. We're not, we're not on yeah, the hook. Yeah, exactly. We're not on the hook at all. And that's a nice model. And we paid already for our next year. Like that's already happened until sometime in 2018. So, and there's no backseas. So I don't interested in just sort of jumping ship, uh, but looking to the future because you know, even though they got this infusion of $170 million, who knows how long that's going to last yeah, I, without, a, without a model. And, and so I'm looking to the future and thinking we will probably have to leave SoundCloud and go to more of a podcasting-specific mm. host simply because the, the sort of social functions of SoundCloud, I think, are a little less important to podcasters than they are to musicians. Right. And we need the robustness and the sense of something's not going to go Permanence, away. Yeah. More so than we need, uh, you know, what SoundCloud specifically offers, although it will probably come at greater cost to Radio Survivor. Huh. But Paul Reese Mandel, I thought that you were about to launch into one of your uh, favorite uh, life lessons for the internet. And the life lesson is, is that do not trust any one site on the internet to hold your data. Ever. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Facebook 
uh, everything you post there is theirs, not yours, even though you could try to or get it from them. even if you're on a site like Flickr, which is more explicit that what you upload is yours. Doesn't mean they might lose it. It doesn't mean yeah. that they might not lose it or Yahoo slash Verizon may choose that they no longer want, you know, may change their terms of service yeah. on you. Everything that you put on YouTube, you should keep a copy. Because people think, oh, I, I'm good. I'm It's in the cloud. Let's remember the cloud is just code for somebody else's, else's computer. computer. Yeah. And so with regard to our all of the episodes, which are now we're up to 104 episodes on SoundCloud, I've made sure that we have a copy in multiple places and that we're ready to go. Meaning should SoundCloud disappear tomorrow, we can begin to restore. Now in that process, I also uh, uploaded everything to MixCloud. Hmm. Uh, so all of our episodes are at MixCloud. So we have a sort of backup. The only problem with Mixcloud is that it's not really a podcasting service. No, there's no downloads. There's no downloads. There's only streams. It does so it will not work through Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play or or, or Spotify or any of the other various podcast applications or hosts. So it's lovely for in browser play. It's not so good if somebody wants to listen to our show while they're on like a, a subway and don't have internet access or just on those apps that are popular. Yeah, but it's there, even though even though it's and connected. Mixcloud has uh, has a automatic ingest. Meaning basically you just put in your credentials for SoundCloud and it'll automatically transfer everything over. And that's what you I don't did. say. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but I'm saying though. Again, Radio Survivor is not sponsored by We're Mixed not sponsoring Cloud, any of these things, but we're trying to point out the pluses and minuses here. to us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and definitely unless a lot changes by the early 2018, I suspect we'll move our hosting to one of the other podcast mm. services out there. Uh, that doesn't, that is more likely to stick around. Uh, now of course you can host your own podcasts on any sort of like, if you have a web host account of any sort, like a dream host or a blue host or a host gator or anything like that, you can host your, your podcast there. Uh, you don't get the, you don't tend to get the player, like the nice little plug in player. Uh, you don't get very good stats cause there's little extra magic that has to happen to get accurate podcast download stats. You lose some of those functionality, but there's no reason you can't do yeah, it. It's also it's fine if you're small, but if you ever accidentally grow big overnight, you might there'll uh, be growing pains. You might you, encounter uh, yeah. You might encounter some delays. Someone may shut down your content. account because there's too many downloads in a give a given amount of time. Yeah. So there are there are various problems. We will probably move, but it's because we have all the files. I made sure we kept everything and have it organized. So if you are using SoundCloud for your music or your podcast, download everything now. Stop the podcast. Stop listening <laughs> to the radio. And if you don't have everything, download it. And, 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 and why he, didn't you keep a copy of your of your stuff in the first place? Because you don't want this compressed well, file. Well, I know what happens to people. <laughs> what happens is you have a computer, you have a hard drive, you run out of space. Yeah. You're like, I have it up here. I delete it. Or your computer dies and you're not able to get the – you don't have enough. Like there's all these reasons why it's difficult. As hard drives get bigger and bigger and bigger and we're talking about terabytes of space, why it's hard for people to keep multiple copies of things. I get that. But I would really recommend stuff that you make. It's your original creation. Yeah. Burn it to CDRs, burn it to DVDRs, get, go buy five, uh, USB thumb drives on special at Costco 
and put the same thing on all five. Put one in a safety deposit box. Put one <laughs> mail in your, one to your dad. <laughs> you mail one to your dad. Keep one in your office at work. Keep. I mean, I'm really serious about yeah. it because then there's some safety there. Because the only real safety is having multiple copies. That's the only safety you could. And then you know you could supplement it with something like a Dropbox or a Box.com or or Google Drive or your yeah. Apple stuff. But don't rely on any one of them. Don't rely on any one of them. Keep multiple copies because um, that's you know because you made it. You you went through that trouble. You made it. It's worth something. It has value. Keep lots of copies. But it's also nice that we are uh, reporting that SoundCloud is uh, still here this week. Still here this week. Still here. But I think it's it's touch and go, man. It is touch and go. And includes if you have videos on YouTube. You yeah. never know if those terms of service are going to change. You never know. Especially with the music licensing part. Somebody else right? owns it. Yeah. I mean, especially with the, the stuff that they they were able to negotiate X amount for music, but who knows when that contract when expires. That, or and what, when the terms change. Yeah. What then you have next? the video that has you know some copyrighted song in it that you don't own, and your video now is, is verboten. You never know when that's going to happen. What do you think? What are you doing to keep your stuff together to keep your digital life from going up in vaporware uh from becoming the next uh, geo cities how are Aww. you uh, how are you protecting let us know drop us a line podcast at radiosurvivor.com or if you have any questions about this or if there's things we can do to help you uh better grapple with your digital legacy we'd love to know if you have questions or there's things we can help out and maybe cover on the show drop us a line podcast at radiosurvivor.com of course um, we will have show notes. We'll have links to articles and other things to help you through yeah. all of this um, at our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. We're on episode number 104. 104. Yes. So uh, you can find that anytime. Of course, if you want to re-listen or listen to old episodes, that's also where you can find it, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. I cannot let this topic go by without talking about the biggest shock to my system in the in the internet that I that I lived upon uh when Google Reader right. went down that and was what when was Google I, Reader that was when I realized oh like none of this is ours yeah and anything that we use to so tell everyone what Google Reader was <laughs> oh it takes too long Google Reader was such a wonderful place for people to organize um Organize the information that came across the internet in real simple syndication, which is the the coding. It was a way to like read a lot of blogs. The technology which allows podcasts to exist starts with a, a little bit of code that that delivers to a a, a, a reader, reader, a podcast app, or uh, whatever. N- new content is available from this creator today, this instant, and it and it delivers it to you. So that's how you get a podcast. Instead of going through like forty or fifty web bookmarks, you could yeah. have one bookmark, and it would lay out. And you could say you could and you could say, oh, I want this from Wired Magazine. I want this from Radio yeah. Survivor. I want this from some blog. I want this from Vox.com. I want this from this person's YouTube and then channel. You just see I want it, this. And it, it, in a way, it looks a lot like a Facebook feed. It was. It it's was the precursor a feed. to. Facebook feed, really. And it was so, and unlike Facebook's feed where the algorithm is your mom and you cannot get permission from your mom. Right, it's going to show you what it's going to show you. Yeah, the algorithm does not belong to you. You're, you do not have the freedom. You're like an angry teenager and your mom controls your what you can read. Uh, 
Google Reader allowed for endless tinkering and endless uh, channels that you could create. So I could go and click on, give me local news content. I created a feed, all local news content, every paper in my town and every blog that I respected in my town, every podcast that was locally focused in my town, all in one slot. But then Google Reader, they get Google. A, a company that is not in any financial difficulty at all quit. Yeah, quit. They folded it. They didn't like it anymore, and they quit it. And, and, and that, the thing is, it all is, went away. The other thing that was really nice about it was that it was shareable. So I had a community of individuals that also enjoyed using Google Reader. You know, clearly we're in the minority, but a bunch of uh, fun <laughs> people who could share anything with their. So I had another click. A click away was everything that so and so shared on Google Reader with all of their friends. Well, on it was Google very Reader. popular with journalists, with writers, with people who kind of part of uh, whose job it is to stay up on a lot of things. Yeah, to, to take in a lot of information because it allowed you to really organize it. Yeah, I used and, it as a radio producer. And the, the thing is, of course, this idea of our RSS reader was something that was sort of a grassroots phenomenon. It was also my favorite podcast app the, for a long, yeah, for, for about a year or two. It was where I got my podcast and just to listen in the browser yeah, yeah. Clicked, and and it was something there. it was grassroots it was something that just people individuals developers came up with and there were all these different platforms for doing it and google did it and it worked better than most and so it became it went from being because a lot of them were like individual apps that you would run on your computer this is pre-smartphone of course yeah and google said well we'll make it in the browser and that was kind of a revolution yeah and it worked really well and so all the other competing rss readers kind of fell out they, not because google's trying to put them out of business they made the best one they made the best one and then they killed it now i use one still called uh-huh. feedly i know i i it's weird because there's there's it also works and i really like it again not an advertisement sure they also uh, um the 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 day of the feed has sort of come and gone where certain I don't. Not everyone's building feeds the way they used to. Yeah, but they're still there, and I use them. And what's great, uh, what I like about Feedly in particular is that you don't have to necessarily be able to find it yourself. You just type in their search engine what you're looking for, and they'll find it for you. Sure. Which kind of then uh, it, right. it makes it easier. But we, anyway, here we are. But but um, old men talking about Google Reader. Well, talking about podcasts still. Yeah. Uh, so there was the podcast patent troll. Oh. I've heard of this guy. Yes. So it was a company called Personal Audio that in the 1990s filed a patent for a technology in which they would deliver basically serialized audio programming. Now, this is that's a cool idea. Early 1990s. (laughs) This is the Internet exists. It is just becoming commercialized. But audio on the Internet is kind of not yet there. This reminds me of video on the Internet is most certainly not there. So their original product was magazines on cassette tape that you would subscribe to. And that is what they got their initial patent for. Wow. Then they updated it to say, well, then we'll do this on the internet. This reminds me of the patent that the patent office granted for the technology to rewarm bread. Right. Someone tried to patent the toaster, which had already sort of... Existed. The idea was in the world before this patent was approved. Exactly. So this patent was issued in the 1990s. Kind of sat around. Beginning in 2013, this company that owned the patent called Personal Audio started sending nasty grams, letters, legal letters to podcasters like Adam Carolla and other companies saying, um, we have the patent for podcasting. As a podcaster, you are going to owe us a licensing fee. So you'd better call us back 
and we're going to start working. Meanwhile, out what these they didn't write RSS. They didn't create the technology. No, but the they simple just came idea. Up with the idea. Well, that's that's patents for you. We yeah. don't want to go down all the way down into patent law, but that's patents for you. And uh, but this was a serious threat. Is a serious threat to podcasting. And in fact, they got some companies to pay up. Huh? Good for them. Some big companies <laughs> to pay up. Adam Carolla, who who is who is a podcaster, said, "Well, I'm not going to." He actually raised a half million dollars to begin fighting them in court. Hmm. As that happened, the Electronic Frontier Foundation got involved, and Electronic Frontier Foundation is is a nonprofit. EFF. They tend to fight for civil civil rights online for all intents and purposes. They started with the tabletop gaming community. If I may circle really? all the way wow. back to the beginning of our podcast. Well, and one of their founders it, is it, John Perry Barlow, who is a lyricist for the Grateful yeah, Dead. Its founding origin story begins with a legal case surrounding a tabletop game that involved a computer somewhere and the the authorities seizing anyway yeah so anyway starting four years ago they start sending out these nasty threatening letters you know which are like we're going to take you to court for these back royalties and one of the the ploys of of these patent trolls as they're called people who own this intellectual property that's never really been used but which they want to collect royalties on is that they're all incorporated in one district in texas yeah. Where the local court seems to be very uh, – and the local jury seem to be very uh, amenable to finding in favor. And so they file these lawsuits in this one uh, district I've in Texas. I've heard about this. Not around the podcast. No, there's a patent. lot of other patents as well. It's a small town and it, they just the, – the people that are in this industry of – patent trolling have discovered that this is the place to be to but, win but that was the threat that you'll have to yeah. go to court there the ff got involved and what they decided to do is to take it directly to the patent office and basically say to the patent office this patent is invalid and not invalid because sort of like the toaster case there is prior art yeah meaning prior to you getting this patent describing it there was actually serialized audio on the internet. And so they brought that evidence to the patent office and the patent office had hearings and the patent office said, you're correct. There is prior art to this patent being, being given that there was serialized audio on the internet. There was the precursor to podcasting and they invalidated the patent. Personal audio appealed that decision mm-hmm. to the federal uh, circuit court of DC. Uh, so the circuit court of appeals and on August 7th, the court of appeals said the uh, nullification of that patent stands. And and there were two questions. The first question was a uh, personal audio tried to say the EFF has no standing. They cannot be the ones to nullify, to, to move for the nullification of our patent, basically saying they're not podcasters. Well, you know, yeah. but they, they, they weren't, you know, we weren't in negotiation with them. Right. We weren't whatever. They have no standing. And of course, secondly, challenging the, the, the factual basis that there was prior art. And the court found, no, indeed, an interested party like the AFF, they have standing. They could challenge it at the patent. They can, they can initiate that challenge. I, for one, was a podcast freelancer sitting in the offices of EFF with a microphone. <laughs> I can attest <laughs> Yes, to their to their to their presence on the podcast map. Absolutely, but and then and then also held, anyway. upheld the, the evidence that there was prior art that there were at least two examples of internet radio shows for which there was 
actual evidence that mm-hmm. they existed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One by the CBC, in fact, as an experiment along the lines of 1992 cool. or 1993 and said no. So now it is official. Podcasters everywhere can rest easy that they're, at least in the United States, that they're not going to get a letter in the mail from this company, Personal Audio, saying you're going to owe us royalties. You're going to go owe us thousands of dollars. This was a threat that people took very seriously. At, yeah. At one time. In, in 20, 2013, they took it very seriously. And, and, and I mean, just to, to make a point of this, had the appeals court ruled otherwise, it would have said that this patent was valid. And it could have meant that we, Radio Survivor, yeah. could have been legally liable to owe a royalty of God knows what, right? Because, if, you know, who knows how much it would be simply for the right to, to put these to put audio online in the way we do. They would have been like the, like the, the like warlord of podcasting. Exactly. Like they could have controlled. Yeah. The, 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 that's why they're called trolls, like the trolls of the bridge. Yeah. Right. So there's a big, uh, a big, strong troll. Podcasters are free. Now this is something I've been covering since that time. So we'll have a whole bunch of articles in our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Uh, you know, Planet Money did a piece on it. They actually talked to personal audio and got them to explain their position. Uh, so we've got references to all of that. Uh, if you want to get into the yeah. uh, backstory of the podcast patent toll they, troll. I think, I think Planet Money went to that small town in Texas and and uh yeah and tried to look up tried the, to figure out who what, what human beings lived <laughs> there that made this all possible yes and now we have one for the radio nerds <laughs> so we've got them in our audience and we know that that they love it when we talk about uh some arcane radio trivia we left it for the end of the show but i think uh, folks listening in on the radio would enjoy this and it's about the idea of having low power am radio and the reason why I want to talk about this is it's something which our listeners and readers have been emailing us about this year. I don't know what it is in the air, but we received separately from different people four, five inquiries uh, asking. So there's this low power FM, right? Mm-hmm. You know, which we've talked about quite a bit. And there's new stations in most cities, uh, 100 watt FM stations, mostly community based, non commercial, going on the air. They yeah. were all licensed in 2013. As a result of a movement which is not dissimilar at all to what we were talking about on episode 103 last week about in Argentina, Argentina. Right. you know, opening the door to more community media. But right now, uh, there are no more licenses being given out. For the time being, we don't know if and when there will be another opportunity. There was a huge flowering of brand right. new, uh, smaller radio stations all over the country, the likes of which we've never seen. And at least one of the restrictions is you're running out of space on the FM dial, especially in big cities, but even in some smaller cities. And so I think it makes a lot of folks think, well, the AM dial has some space on it. Ostensibly. No one's using that for anything interesting. <laughs> so there's an opportunity there. Why? Why doesn't? Why? You know, and, you know, and people email us saying, hey, have you covered this or what's the possibility? And, you know, I knew sort of that the likelihood was low in part because I just didn't think there was interest. But I thought, OK, it's time to go back and dig into the facts because I remember uh, – before I started Radio Survivor, back in the mid-2000s, I remember talking to a guy. His name is Don Shellhart. 
he was one of the people who helped low power FM happen. Mm -hmm. And he had been, I remember talking to the FCC or submitting proposals to the FCC around about 2004, 2005 to create a low power AM service, Hmm. but I hadn't really followed the thread. So went back and looked in the record. And the fact is there are three times since 1997, there have been proposals submitted to the FCC to create a low power AM service. But it's never happened. And in fact, that 2005 proposal from Don Shellhart and Nick Leggett is the other guy uh, who uh, helped to put that forward, proposed having 100 watt AM radio stations. So the idea is that they would be inexpensive to build, inexpensive to operate, and they would cover a relatively small area. So they'd be hyper local. Community talk. Community talk, etc. Yeah. Only they propose that they be commercial, hmm. unlike low power FM, which is non-commercial. Their justification is that these stations would need to be able to offer advertisements in order to be uh, in order to be able to make it, in order to be sustainable. They also argued they felt that a lot of local businesses are priced out of radio advertising hmm. on a full power station. And so this would be an opportunity for like your local coffee shop or an independently owned. Uh, like auto shop community capitalist radio well, I like, right. it's interesting you know i mean it's sort of like a community paper right yeah. in that way right? right that might have advertisements for local businesses but even if it itself isn't really a truly as profitable you know, for yeah. profit concern. as someone who has spent uh, a few decades worrying about how a radio station pays for a staff the idea of a radio station uh being allowed to have advertising instead of just being listener sponsored is at least interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's a version called underwriting, which happens on, on, on non-commercial radio, which is not full on advertising, but gives local businesses an opportunity Certainly, to, yeah. to receive some uh, acknowledgement uh, for their, their sponsorship. So it sounds like this, this is an idea that has been floated, but just didn't have the same sort of uh, uh, real uh, people push. As yeah. The FM. And that's basically it. So 2005 is when this last, Last uh, proposal was submitted to the FCC, and then there was an update to it in which they sort of uh, they tried to simplify it, um, and they said, okay, well, also maybe we could make it more like travelers' information stations. Those are the stations you might be driving along the highway right. says for for traffic conditions tuned to like fourteen ninety a.m. Yeah, they said, well, since all of that apparatus already exists, why don't we just say in in uh, private individuals could have those stations instead of just uh, uh, municipalities, the highway, and and, and state authorities, yeah. right? And the FCC opened it up to comment. They created a proceeding. They opened it up to, for comment. And in what year? In uh, 2005. Okay. Which is the same uh, general window as the low-power FM movement. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's five years later. Its momentum. It's yeah. about five, five to six years later. There weren't a lot of comments. And, but the commercial broadcast industry took note. And, yeah. and many groups uh, submitted comments, including the National Association of Broadcasters, and they posted. They were not thrilled. They basically said, we don't see a need for this one. They said, two, the FCC uh, says it wants to revitalize the AM dial. We think this would create more interference. This would create more problems. Yeah. And would be the opposite of AM revitalization. We've talked about AM revitalization here on Radio Survivor. I learned all sorts of fun facts, like the traffic lights in your city are now causing interference on AM Because they're being moved stations. to LEDs and they create more RF interference. Yeah. yeah. So AM used to sound better when you were a kid. It's true. It's true. You, yeah. you didn't just, it's on a false memory. So what happened, people submitted comments and then nothing. Finally, on January 30th of 2015, 10 years later or so, the FCC closed the proceeding. Okay. So there was no action. 
Wow. So I we need this is a great Radio Survivor 2017 topic. Is uh why did this low power FM movement succeed where this low power AM movement my, failed? My opinion is that the low power FM movement was a broad and deep coalition. Yeah. It and and a lot of effort and time went into bringing many different constituencies to the table. In the late 1990s into the early 2000s, one of the biggest supporters was the United Church of Christ. They they had a a full-time policy person working on low power FM seeing it as part of their communitarian philosophy. Sure. Um, on top of that, you had the a Prometheus, very interesting coalition, right? Of you had the Prometheus Radio right Project, left which was funded the by States. the Fa- Ford Foundation early on to help create Low Power FM. You had Common Frequency, another nonprofit organization, and you had churches, and you had uh, had groups like the Future of Music Coalition. You had Free Press, which is a media reform organization, and and it went far and wide. And 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 it also in terms of, of politics, in terms of uh, partisan politics, it cut across the aisle. Yeah. Uh, Senator John McCain was a proponent of low power FM. And so you had Republicans and Democrats, you had independents, you had people with a lot of walks coming together uh, in support of this. And that's what it took. Is low power FM the last thing, the last bipartisan thing? <laughs> I'm not going to. Yeah, I don't know that I think, can answer that. That's a think piece that I'm pitching to BuzzFeed yeah, tomorrow. I don't, know, I don't know that I can answer that. It, was, it, sounds, it sounds remarkable uh, with, with the, my 2017 brain well, and even that though anything had support from Democrats and Republicans and had this big of a – I know, but had this big of an impact right. on – on the media landscape of the United States, in a positive sort of way, in a in a way in, <laughs> in which, a positive yeah, way, in a way in which we are, as opposed to the 1996 Telecommunications Act, which sort of had a negative impact yeah. on the media, and which was also bipartisan, sure, 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 and sponsored by There's Democrats. lots of bipartisanship <laughs> in the 90s. But uh, you know, so I think what happened is that with low power AM, they just simply didn't have that broad constituency. And folks, I've heard people say and email me, well, why didn't a Prometheus radio project get involved with that or these other organizations? And I can't speak for Prometheus. I've not had that conversation with anybody from the organization. But I happen to know that, sure, it's one thing to get low-power FM passed by the FCC. It's another thing to make sure these stations that get licensed are getting built and are sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I know that organizations, again, like Prometheus Radio Project, like Common Frequency, have dedicated untold person hours to helping to build these stations and keep them sustainable as best as they can. It's something else that the National Federation of Community Broadcasters now does to help keep low-power FM sustainable. And all of that effort is tremendous, and these organizations, I don't think, have the the time or the person power to go into a whole nother uh, initiative to create a whole nother class of community radio. It's fun because we at Radio Survivor love to talk about the that it's a canard that radio is dead, but it feels like on this particular topic that at least AM radio. Well, I think also the is energy, a lot more old. I don't, than, and I think it's FM something radio. which does not excite people, frankly, yeah. because I do think that AM radio, right? People's, uh, if you're not otherwise a big radio, super radio nerd, people think of AM radio as uh, noisy, doesn't sound very good. It's mostly sports and conservative talk. Yeah, right. And people wonder, well, okay, I mean, and they really, I think they really do wonder, well, if we created an AM community radio station, 
you know, would would people listen? Would it get yeah, the kind of listenership? If the tree fell in the AM woods, would anyone even tune in? Plus, because on low power FM and community radio, music yeah. is a huge component of the programming. Because it, you know, if you need to fill a lot of hours, it's easier to do so with music than it is with talk. Yeah, I think people are right to wonder: um, Would we? Would it sound good? Would we? Would it be? Would yeah. people carry it off? Uh, you know, would people want to listen to music radio? And you can't hear music on AM radio. It's oldies. It's people who don't mind hearing or, it that or, way. Or it's ethnic. There's a <laughs> right. like serves a lot of. There's least time stations that serve yeah, a lot of foreign language that's, that's, uh, programming cool. and things like that. But right, it, it, it's it's fairly limited. It's funny because AM superpower compared to FM is its reach is although how at, far it can travel at low power. Right, it doesn't quite have that superpower. Yeah, so it does. It, it wouldn't the, have a, a, a tremendously significant advantage. Yeah, it's just a different. It's just a place where there happens to be some uh, le- more unused real estate. I like this. I like this <laughs> alternate reality, though. We live in a, a time period where popular culture is more and more willing to explore alternate realities. Like, what if this had happened? Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm going to pitch to HBO that they have an entire, uh, you know, re- Game of Thrones style series where what if AM uh, low power stations did exist in and, 2017? And, and there are there are public radio stations and community radio stations on AM. Uh, you know, and usually though, with quite a bit of power. Again, taking advantage yeah. of, of the reach of, of AM radio. Which makes sense. It goes um, farther across the planet. It, it can, yeah. yeah. But it, but that also causes problems. That's part of the interference issue, right? Yeah. That there's a plus and a minus, right, to that because of its of its reach. So, uh, But I think that it's unlikely we'll see this happen. I think people – and I've asked us, you know, well, what would be necessary? And I think it would require – a tremendous, especially now, because I, I don't think we, we currently have an FCC that would have a huge appetite for the for it, um, especially since uh, it's likely that the uh, large broadcasters would oppose it, um, especially the large commercial broadcasters. It would require uh, building a kind of consensus that would be hard. And a big question people would have, I think, and I'm not going to answer it, but the question people would have would be, well, we built all these low-power FM stations. One, why is that insufficient? And two, are they sustainable? Meaning if their low-power FM stations going out of business and not able to stay on the air, right. why? what would say that AM radio and low-power would work? Wow. And I Paul, think you'd have to answer that question. Paul Reismandel, thank you so much for digging into that issue. I'm, I like it. I'm glad we talked about that radio nerd topic here at the end of this episode of Radio Survivor. My name is Eric Klein. Uh, if if you have any opinions about uh, this episode or anything else we've ever talked about, please do reach out to us. Our email is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Also, you'll find show notes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. This one's episode number 104, but of course, uh, you can hear past episodes there as well. If you do listen to us as a podcast, or maybe you're listening to us on the radio and like to, to make sure you never miss us, we'd love it if you would subscribe to us in whatever your favorite podcast application is. If you happen to use Apple Podcasts or, or Stitcher, uh, our place where you can rate us, that includes, I think, Google Play, includes other platforms, we'd love it if you would. That helps people find it when they start poking around. We're more likely to get suggested. It's something super simple you can do that really helps us out if you can help us out even more we are a listener and reader funded operation your support goes a long way to help us do what we do especially pay those fees for hosting the podcast uh go to radiosurvivor.com slash support to learn how you can do that thanks for listening everybody thank you